At the end of 2020, Pfizer announced its partnership with BioNTech has led to a vaccine for COVID-19, a partnership between an American pharmaceutical giant and German-based company founded by Turkish immigrants. This for me shows the importance of collaborating globally and with people from different backgrounds to innovate. Today, I'll be talking to a contact at Pfizer, not about the vaccine itself, but about the wider innovation ecosystem that helps Pfizer be the world leader it is. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to Policy Innovation with Nathan, the podcast asking experts how they would innovate policy in key areas from health and technology to the rise of China. Our guest today is William Binchu, Head of Digital Innovation Labs at Pfizer in China and Southeast Asia. Well, Binchu, thank you very much for joining us today. It would be great if you could kick off by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do. Sure, it's my pleasure. Um, well, my name is Binchu, and a lot of my a lot of my colleagues know me as William, and so that's so as if my name isn't confusing enough. Um, I'm the the head of Digital Innovation Lab for Pfizer, and I cover. Um, China as well as Southeast Asia at the moment. Um, so what we are looking to achieve is to really encourage a very traditional industry to venture out, to, um, to explore and exploit the new emerging technologies that are out there that can add value to the business. And ultimately, the value can be, can be cascading down to the healthcare professionals as well as patients. Um, so it's really my job not just to find what are the new disruptive and transformative innovation opportunities out there, form partnerships with those ecosystem participants, and also at the same time, and uh, in, encourage uh, our colleagues within Pfizer to think more strategically, to think as um, a startup entrepreneur, so if you will, to kind of close the gap between a very conservative, um, a traditionally very conservative industry and the other parts of the world that are leaps and bounds like leaps and bounds ahead of us. So that's my job in a nutshell. Interesting. And do you see much difference in terms of innovation in healthcare in China compared to Southeast Asia or the West? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the differences are huge. And in in terms of the size of the opportunities as well as the number of challenges, Right, and some would call China as a region and as opposed to just a country. Um, when it comes to Southeast Asia, there are so many different countries and there is a fragmentation of systems, right, like culture and like demographics. So um, really when it comes to the kind of the, the idiosyncrasy of these two regions, of those two markets are very, very, are very different um, from a social and economic perspective, China and is, um, you know, we have actually um, coming to the end of this 10-year healthcare reform and that you can see a lot of improvements within the actual systems. And, and But comparing that to some of those, um, shall I say, more developed economy, there's still a long way to go that we need to catch up and that we need to learn from them, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a system, from a policy and from a process standpoint. Um, Southeast Asia is a bit different. Um, 
it's very much polarized as well. If you look at very developed markets or developed pockets like Singapore, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, and uh, where the healthcare sectors are quite mature, are quite developed, where the the markets, the people, the countries that um, um the companies that are a bit more well off, and uh, so. Things such as affordability and healthcare access possibly are less of a concern compared to the less developed markets. For instance, when it comes to markets like India, Indonesia, and uh, Philippines, just to name a few, and the vast majority, and in um, the vast the vast majority of those healthcare payments, they will have to come out of pocket. For instance, and um, and it's not it's. Oh, it isn't always possible to access to quality care in those markets. So I think when it comes to the actual needs, when it comes to patients as well as the structure of the market, there are huge differences. I'd like to dig a bit deeper about what you said、um, about China's ten-year plan. One thing in the West that I think policymakers are often in awe of is the long-term strategic development plans that China's actions. Can you tell us a bit more about this ten-year plan, and did it help or hinder Pfizer's work in China? Did it create a helpful innovation environment, or rather, did you feel that the regulation didn't help it achieve what it meant、uh, set out to achieve? Sure.、Um, what, what I'm about to say is my personal point of view, so it doesn't represent Pfizer's official view. <laughs> so、um, I, I personally think that. And、um, the kind of the reform, everything that is changing, has definitely encouraged healthy competition within the market. And I mean, it's no secret、um, that the pharmaceuticals margins are increasingly under pressure,、um, given the formalization、um, of the healthcare system when it comes to procurement, when it comes to delivery of care, the standards,、um, and so on and so forth. So I think it. Um, it does create a lot of challenges for multinationals, for like a big,、um, the, the the kind of a what I call it, the big boys in the industry. But it, it also creates a lot of opportunities that that we hadn't considered before. So I think there are pros and cons when it comes to when it comes to、um, when it comes to operating environment,、uh, when it comes to operating environment be, being favourable or not. But by and large, I, I, I think that that propels us forward to get out of our comfort zone and innovate. I like that. I think getting out of your comfort zone is the only way to innovate. Which leads me to the next question. You mentioned that actually it's increasingly a low-margin industry. How do you bridge that gap when you're working in Southeast Asia, where you are really trying to achieve、um, low-cost solutions for the people there? How do you bridge that gap? Right. That, that that's an excellent question, and and also also a very sensitive, a very political sensitive, politically sensitive one.、Um, I mean, different markets they have different legislative, regulatory, as well as legal structures, right? And so we operate in a heavily regulated industry. So everything that we do will have to be compliant. That will have to be、um, sort of a dependent and driven by those regulations. So we have to. Do things and within、uh, within the confine of the laws,、um, but we are trying to innovate in the sense that by 
partnering with, by learning from, and our and our partners, our collaborators from different kind of industries, and then making sure of finding innovative ways to, in your words, close the funding gap. And uh, for our patients, for instance, a very good example is that in Southeast Asia, we have recently launched a a challenge. Uh, open innovation challenge centralized around the theme of enhancing affordability and patient access to quality care. Just to kind of uh, give you and a scenario, I, I just want to paint the picture. For instance, a middle-aged woman, she goes to an oncologist clinic and is told that you that you had late stage breast cancer that's spread throughout your body, you only have two months to live, right? But there are treatments out there that can drastically increase your survival, that your survival rate. And possibly if things goes well, and we can turn this life-threatening disease into a long-term manageable chronic condition. But the, the catch is is that there is a drug not available on the public healthcare procurement list. It's not being covered. You have to fund this. You have to pay for this yourself, right? And very often, these kind of drugs are quite expensive. Um, in that respect, a lot of those patients in this kind of similar situation, they feel that they're going to deplete their lifelong savings. They're going to impact their finances, not just for them, but their family as well. They just give up, right? They will not pursue the treatment, even though there's a chance that this drug or this treatment may save their lives. So that is exactly the type of scenario we want to overcome. So by creating this particular affordability and accessibility challenge, by partnering with our ecosystem partners, we try to come up with innovative ways to finance, to finance treatments that can save people's lives and increase the overall quality of their lives as well as their families' lives. I, I hope I answer your question here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gives a really clear example. And actually, that's something I hadn't considered before when I think of innovation in healthcare. I'm usually thinking, you know, uh, new drug development or immunization or connecting aspects of the body to the internet. Um, but financing actually is a really key one, especially to people who may need support accessing these drugs. Which health policies do you think governments should focus on improving? For China, um, I think the government has done wonders, actually, in improving um, the availability of healthcare insurance and as well as the kind of a, the range, the types of um, medicinal products and treatments to its population, considering the size of the population, right? And uh, um, But from, from my perspective, I feel that um, there is still room for um, for enhancement so when it comes to educating educating people, educating people in taking more ownership and in improving improving their health, not just to understand different kind of diseases. So um, so that's why um, so the reason why I'm saying this is actually in line with the healthy 
China 2030 initiative, right? It's, it's kind of a try to lengthen people's health span as opposed to lifespan. We want people to be well. We don't want them to go and seek treatment once they're ill. Right, so we don't want them to be ill at the first place, and uh, so I think that is something that um, there's still a lot to be learned, and uh, like uh, from uh, from many other countries, from many other systems around the world, and and we also need to find our own way. And secondly, I'm a, a huge advocate um, for for uh, for healthcare professionals, so I do feel that m- more resources. Um, and I would like, I like to see that more resources being invested and into, into fostering the next generation thought leaders, uh, thought leadership and in healthcare and in healthcare professionals. Um, and also I do feel that, um, the, the kind of a, shall I say, the kind of a the respect the HCP that they garner from like from the population it has um you know there, there's a lot of room for improvements and because in the west for like for instance in the us or in the uk and doctors and nurses are hugely hugely re- respected professions and and i feel that in china and uh, that we need to perhaps like up our game in that respect so these are the, the two the two things i would say um from a policy standpoint when it comes to china Interesting. And just to clarify, HCP meaning healthcare practitioner or? Yeah, healthcare professionals. Forgive me. Oh, oh, healthcare professionals. Okay, gotcha. How do you think non-Chinese healthcare companies can innovate in China? Oh, I think innovation happens at all levels and it's multi-directional. Um, I feel like uh, uh, foreign companies, they have a lot to offer when it comes to bringing new ideas, bringing new technologies that are applicable to, um, to, to markets like China and, and Southeast Asian countries. Um, but, o- but also at the same time, in order for them to succeed, they absolutely have to understand the problem, the problems inside out, and they need the talent they need the local talent they need resources they need to invest sensibly in sustain this level of commitment right i've seen plenty of for instance like certain very well-funded startups and they feel that they've succeeded in a western market they can just drop they can just slot their solutions into a market like china like a lot of them just failed spectacularly because they don't really understand the mechanism. They don't understand the drivers. They don't understand the operating environment in general. And so I think that that absolutely has to happen, that, that, that you need the on-the-ground talent. You need people who are very well-connected, who are very well-grounded, and, uh, and, and who will be able to, in a position to link up both China and, uh, and abroad in order to, like I said, in order to kind of materialize those innovation pockets. Is Pfizer a good partner for companies interested in understanding the China market and working with the partner to better serve the patients? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the reasons um, that I'm here, right? And so really, we're trying to we're trying to be as open as possible, welcome any new ideas, whether 
they are indigenous to China and Southeast Asia or whether they are abroad, as long as they have a strong case, as long as the value that they demonstrate um, is in line with those countries, those target countries are looking to achieve, as long as they can show that the value that we will be creating can be passed down to the patients, to the healthcare workers, and also as long as they're in line and with Pfizer's strategy locally as well as globally, then it is an absolute possibility that we, that we can pursue opportunities as such. Great, good to know. And I guess Pfizer's reputation has increased further in China since the latest uh, partnership with BioNTech. Oh yeah, and so, I mean that's a very exciting, that's a very exciting development. Not just for Pfizer, I think that's for the entire, med- like humankind, right? And and for the last year, and uh, it has been a very very tough period, for pretty pretty much everyone, and and I do think that that we can do with some more good news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what a year it's been. Hey, yeah. um, switching from from the year to maybe the century. What do you see as being the biggest challenge this century? It can be healthcare related or not. Um, I mean, increasingly, we are becoming more uh, more isolated, right? And um, more online. And, uh, you know, with the advent of the internet and of all the connected mobile devices and uh, we're ever more, we're, we're supposedly ever more connected to the outside world and to each other. But really, I I personally feel, and it's the opposite, right? And so I think going forward, it's just like a medicine, right? And in order for us to be more personalized, we need to be together first. We need to be, um, you know, we need to really understand each other's wants and needs. And then we can make something happen around that. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I just feel that, you know, and uh, the world has increasingly been divided and uh, in terms of politics, right, in terms of people's point of view and in terms of different kind of policies between different countries. And, uh, and we're kind of moving away from globalization, right, even though this w- word has been and has been like used over and over again. So I do feel that there are things that we can do to kind of achieve true globalization. Um, we are social animals in, in healthcare and not just healthcare. And uh, um, we absolutely have to stick together and in order for us to, to, to move into the future. Yeah, I completely agree. I like that you say that in us becoming more connected or online connected we actually are becoming more disconnected with each other and divided and the only way to kind of burst those bubbles um, or silos if you like is for us to engage directly with each other and talk to people who have different opinions or are from different cultures it's the only way we can better understand each other like you said about western or foreign organizations entering china's healthcare industry they really need to understand the problems going on That also leads me to think maybe we've talked a lot um, about healthcare today and we discussed maybe some physical healthcare pain points, you know, in Southeast Asia and what Pfizer is trying to do to overcome them. What about mental health? It sounds almost like, you know, one of the biggest challenges this century is going to be around mental health as well. Does Pfizer do much in that area? Yes, that is one of the areas that we are very much focused on as well as uh, the other therapeutic fields. 
um, mental health, if and if I may say, is a poorly is a poorly understood area for us all across the world, right? Even in some of those developed countries, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I said that, you know, and so we are be- that, that we're becoming really isolated, and 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 I think that. And the kind of a, the internet era has actually got something to do with that. Um, so I feel that you know when it comes to um, when it comes to mental health, it's not just about it's not just about creating a solution and try to address these clinical problems. It's more about creating the environment around us that is supportive, that is positive, is to create this kind of support system in place. For instance, that we have that we have drugs, we have the patient engagement and the management programs and systems in place to achieve that. But we cannot do this alone, right? And we need to mobilize and uh, not just patients, healthcare professionals who are looking after them, but mobilize their friends, their family, their close circles. We also need to understand their lives a lot better and um, you know, understand their personal situations and where the problem actually coming from. And so that takes a lot of work. As I said, that is not just a Pfizer only problem. And I, 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 I think that is a problem that is too big for any one party to solve. And so far, I haven't seen, I have not seen one particular healthcare system in the world has cracked the nut. So uh, let's wait and see. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And I guess a lot of that will involve more sharing between people and governments and companies. So we need to encourage an environment of sharing uh, rather than fortifying your activities. Talking of activities, Binchi, you have done a lot of work in China and Southeast Asia to innovate the healthcare environment to help people on the ground with real healthcare issues. In all of these activities, what's been your proudest achievement? Oh, and uh, that is a very, very good question. The proudest achievements. And I feel that um, in addition to the in the in, in addition to the open innovation challenges and the partnerships I've been very closely involved with, and um, like during my time at Pfizer, before before I joined Pfizer, I was actually an an, an entrepreneur. So I set up my own consultancy. Really, the idea there, the goal there was to first of all help increasingly mature and sophisticated Chinese and Asian investors in understanding the Western technologies, right? What are what are the tools, what are the solutions that are being developed in the West, for instance, in UK or in mainland Europe? And uh, that can be that that is applicable to the Chinese market, that, that can solve problems for the Chinese population. And and then help them really understand those, and and then bring those technologies over to China and making sure that they'll succeed. So I touched upon that point earlier on. It's about execution, right? The idea is sound. That's only step number one. Step number two is that how you're going to go about and implement and scale up those technologies in a completely different environment, and and also vice versa. And uh, I. 
I, I try to, and, and I try to encourage the, the communication and the two-way collaboration between European technology companies and that Chinese counterpart. And, and I feel that, so I feel that these two sides, they have a lot to learn from each other. And, 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 and I really wanted to kind of bridge the gap between these two sides. So I've done a lot of different kind of projects around that. Some are like some were just completely not for profit. And uh, so in that respect, and I felt like I have contributed and I've, um, you know, I've done a very, very small part in improving people's lives, people's quality of lives. And, uh, um, you know, in a kind of a, in a quite limited yet positive sense so i I'll, um, and does that answer your question and i suppose that and uh, that that is one of my proudest achievements in life yeah absolutely does so historically i guess like you said a lot of you know uh, in healthcare and technology a lot of ideas have flown from west to east in the last you know few a hundred years but more and more i think that there is a lot to learn um, from business models and innovations in China as well. And I hope that flow of information goes both ways just as strong. Do you see equally now and in the future, if not the past, that um, more and more we will learn from China and how they innovate in healthcare and technology? Um, I do think so. I mean, given the size of the market, and uh, there are plenty of opportunities. And increasingly, I've discovered that Chinese startups are so ambitious, they're eyeing beyond the border. Because previously, what they only wanted to kind of look at is the Chinese market and Chinese markets alone, because it itself is colossal and that there's enough for them to do. But right now, and uh, the, I mean, given given all the technology being enabled by digitization and that they're increasingly wanting to go beyond that, so and uh, they're using, I mean, they're using um, hubs such as Shenzhen, such as um, Shanghai, and in some instances, you know, Hong Kong and, and Singapore, those areas, those ecosystems as a catapult, so if you will, to kind of slingshot themselves into the outside world, into different kind of markets. So, um, so I do feel that and I, I absolutely believe that uh, there is a lot that Western technology companies or Western business that they can learn from China. And, and, and it's also a mentality thing as well. You know, for just take one example, when it comes to software engineering, like I went back in, in the UK and uh, software engineers, they, that they work, that they tended to work at fixed hours. So we call it nine, nine, five, five, right? From nine to five, five days a week. But in China, it's different. And it's actually 996. Mm -hmm. They work from nine to nine and six days a week at least. If you go to, so if you, if you have the opportunity to go on a side visit to some of those really high profile technology companies as well as startups, you will actually see people, people have blankets, people have tents and those kind of things stuck, like stacked beneath their desks because that's how they kind of, uh, you know, there are, uh, there are so many, um, you know, there's so many times that they have to spend the night in the office. So I think when it comes to the pace of the development, it's absolutely amazing. 
it's absolutely amazing in China. And uh, that's probably one of the reasons, that's one of the drivers that China has the and has moved the leaps and bounds when it comes to the pace of when it comes to the pace of technology development. It's the commitments, it's the energy, it's the size of the investments. And also we learn a lot from the outside world as well. So without collaboration, and uh, this cannot have happened. Yeah, totally understood. I think the mindset is really important. What advice, Binchu, do you have for people wanting to continuously learn? Um, I'm stay curious. Um, the and uh, be as and ask and ask as many questions as you want. I mean, don't be afraid. Like, don't be ashamed of not um, of showing not knowing. And I, I think that when we were little, um, the that we were less self-aware, right? When we were children, we were less self-aware. We asked all sorts of silly questions, and we were not afraid. Um, most of us were not afraid of doing silly things, and uh, um, that's that's how we human actually start our lives learning, right? And as we become adults, we are more conscious of um, the what. The outside world thinks of us, and so we are so afraid. Or we are, in in some instances, very insecure of showing and our weaknesses as well as a vulnerability, and that is a shame. And in the startup world, if you go to Shenzhen, if you come and visit us in Shanghai, go and talk to some of those startups, some of those billionaires, company owners. They're very very humble. Right, they will ask you all sorts of questions. They will treat you. They will treat you as their peers. So I feel that that is the quality that all of us have to have going forward. Stop being so self-conscious. Right. Stop caring so much about what other people will think of us if we ask a certain silly question, and just stay curious. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a wonderful mantra to live by. Innovation accelerates when we think about problems differently. And often that happens when we ask questions like kids. I love that you said that. So, Vinci, there may be some um, healthcare technology companies that are listening to the podcast today. Uh, there may be some investors who want to know about the opportunities. What's the best way for people to contact you? Oh, I'm easily reachable, and uh, I'm and I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, they can reach out to me and about uh, WeChat as well as the other kind of a mainstream social media communication methods. Great, that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, Binshu, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. No, thank you, thank you. So Binshu and I actually met through an organisation called the Young China Watchers. For those of you interested in learning more about China, please check out youngchinawatchers.com. Thanks for listening. If you have any ideas, recommendations, or suggestions for the podcast, such as who you'd like to hear from next, please do get in touch.